0: This is MIT Technology Review.
1: In the spring of 2012, six men went into an abandoned copper mine outside of a small town in southwestern China. The workers were there to clear bat droppings. But shortly after, all of them got sick with a respiratory disease. They had tight chests, fever, and flu-like symptoms. No one could figure out what it was. It was a mystery illness. And within a few months, three of them would die. So what happened in that mine? In 2020, reporters from all over the world went to the town to try and find out. Answers had been hard to come by.
2: We found the road to the mine, blocked by angry
1: men. Clearly
2: they aren't going to let us pass. They're telling us there are wild elephants on the road.
1: Before
0: we found that mine, we found this. Angry men shouting at us to leave. We've uh, just been chased off.
1: More blocked roads, more blank stairs.
2: Whatever is down there, they don't want us to see.
1: The reason reporters wanted to get to the mine? It was here that Chinese virologists from Wuhan had discovered a virus similar to COVID-19. They had made expeditions to the mine after the workers died, traveling almost 1,000 miles to catch bats and to collect samples. They were looking for the seeds of future pandemics. But the reporters hadn't learned the location of the mine from any official reporter's statement. Instead, they'd been directed there by an anonymous figure on the internet.
2: I wouldn't call myself an expert, but, like, more of an amateur sleuth. I never thought out that I would end up investigating all of this. Like, it was more like going deep into a rabbit hole. What he found in that rabbit hole has stoked profound
1: and disturbing suspicions about whether a bat virus collected in a mine like this somehow got loose and caused COVID-19. It's not a story that China is eager to have journalists look into. But it is a story that seems important to understanding where the pandemic could have come from. And it was this anonymous figure, who goes by the name The Seeker, who found documents that told us a story that China didn't. So how did an anonymous account on Twitter become so influential in the search for the origins of COVID-19? How did he change what we know? And should we even trust him? I'm Antonio Regalado, and this is Curious Coincidence, a show about the search for the origins of COVID-19. I first heard the story of the mysterious mine shaft from another reporter. My name is Rowan Jacobson and I'm a longtime science journalist. Rowan had traveled to Yunnan province where that mine is before the pandemic and he's been in bat caves too, although not in China. I had been in a bat cave in Kentucky actually
0: for a completely different story but these people took me into their private bat cave. They said, try not to touch any of the guano anywhere because you can pick up all kinds of diseases from these bats." And I didn't really take it seriously at the time. But in retrospect, I kind of think like that was dumb.
1: Were you able to keep the guano off you or is it inevitable that you get guano on you? Yeah. So it's dark in the cave
0: and you like start to, you know, slip because the ground is uneven and you put your hand out and suddenly you have a a fistful of guano. So yeah, no.
1: (laughs) In early 2020, I crossed paths with Rowan. We were both looking into the idea that a lab accident had sparked COVID-19. Rowan hadn't started with that premise, though. In fact, he'd first set out to write a hero story about ecologists who study bat viruses in China, the sorts of viruses that might jump to humans. What Rowan had started to understand was that those bat virus hunters he wanted to write about, their home base was at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. At that time, I didn't realize that Wuhan was
0: the absolute epicenter for the world in coronavirus research and uh, experimentation. I suddenly realized how really bizarre it was, this coincidence, if it was a coincidence, that these viruses that are only found in South China and Southeast Asia were breaking out in a random city a thousand miles away from there that just happens to have the one lab in the world that
1: did have those viruses in its database. In the course of reporting this story, Rowan had a U-turn in how he himself was thinking about it. It was super strange. It's actually one of the
0: strangest moments of my journalistic career. So the scientists that were closely involved, right from the get-go said, this is probably, uh, this is a conspiracy theory. And then a lot of journalists pretty much just bought that and went with it. And it was partly because the science was really unfamiliar and partly because these were, you know, very sort of high level, respectable scientists who were saying this. The first people who were really actively questioning that narrative were on Twitter. And you get a lot of nuts on Twitter.
1: That put Rowan in a difficult situation. He's a science reporter. He's supposed to believe the scientists. But these anonymous accounts on Twitter were making some good points. I was
0: questioning the narrative in my head, but I wasn't saying anything about it. And I suspected that that was true for other people as well who were somewhat familiar with the science. So then I slowly did find people on Twitter who were, you know, all using assumed names, which is never a good sign for authenticity. But their arguments were pretty good. And so
1: I sort of started following them. Rowan had pieced together the story of the mineshaft from these online detectives. By the summer of 2020, an informal group was gathering on Twitter to share theories and trade evidence, and they went by an acronym, D R A S T I C. It's decentralized. The D is
0: decentralized, radical, something for investigating COVID origins.
2: Rustic stands for, you know, de-radicalized. <laughs> it sounds funny, and I never quite liked the name, but it's what it is. Radical investigation team. I keep forgetting it.
1: I have it written down right here. DRASTIC stands for Decentralized Radical Autonomous Search
2: Team. Search Team Investigating COVID-19 audience. yeah. So yeah, it's not the name, but the uh, findings that matters.
1: This is the voice of the seeker. You heard him at the start of this episode. That's the name he's given himself, and on Twitter, he's at the seeker268. Of all the self-appointed investigators, the seeker was the most intriguing. No one seemed to know anything about him. Even his Twitter avatar, his social media profile, was intriguing, a pen and ink drawing of what looked like a shaman to me, a mysterious face from another world. When I first contacted him, he reluctantly agreed to a Skype interview, but then he didn't show up. And I started to wonder if he was for real. Here was someone who exposed documents that reshape what we know about this story. But who was this guy? When I finally caught up to him, his internet connection
2: wasn't that great, so the audio sounds a little echoey. I was spectacularly good at science. Part of my upbringing had been about science. I'm kind of scientifically literate, but not enough to make an informed opinion on, on, on subjects related to sars COV2. He did know enough to start digging into the paper trail that science
1: always leaves behind. And he has the personality for it, too. He's like
2: an information badger. I think we, we filled up a void that was created by the media, as well as the scientific and the investigative community. It was the seeker
1: who found the full story of the Mojang mine and its exact location. That was a major find. So major, in fact, that one expert I spoke with thought the seeker had to be a member of a foreign intelligence service. He's not, though. And I did learn the seeker's identity. His name is Prasenjit Ray, and he's a filmmaker and teacher in India. He likes motorbikes and dark glasses. So yes, he is a real person. But it didn't really matter to me who he was, and I continued to think of him as just the seeker. Like Rowan, once the seeker started looking into things for himself, his
2: suspicions started to build. But when I dug myself into the scientific literature, when I started reading up on the subject, I, I started questioning my assumptions. And at that moment, someone tagged me into a thread where there was a... Lively discussion going on around the COVID-19 origins, and I kind of fell into this rabbit hole.
1: That rabbit hole would become known as the lab leak theory. This was in June of 2020,
2: and at the same time... There were parallel discussions going on around the Mojiang mine, and that, that arose my curiosity, and I started digging into the academic literature, and yeah, that's how it started. The main thing Drastic has done is to dredge up
1: information that makes researchers look, well, less than forthcoming. And every time they do, it stirs deeper suspicions on social media, and among some journalists, that China
2: must be hiding crucial information about the origin of the virus. Drastic kind of punched above our weight. And yeah, the cause for more investigation into the origins of COVID-19 has multiplied. I think a lot of it has to do with the evidentiary documents which Drastic brought out in the open.
1: The seeker's curiosity led him to unearth several documents. First, an obscure master's thesis from a student at Kunming Medical University describing the symptoms of the Mojang workers.
2: They summarized the disease as could have been caused by a SARS-like pneumonia. He
1: believes those SARS-like pneumonia symptoms were similar to the symptoms of COVID-19. Another document, this time a PhD thesis, repeated that account, and it gave the
2: exact location of the abandoned mine. All in all, I think the case history, the symptoms they suffered, the diagnosis, They all point that the mineshaft cases were pretty significant and it must have alarmed the Chinese authorities. One thing is for sure, he got their attention. The details
1: the seeker found were true. In fact, the Wuhan Institute of Virology updated its own scientific publication to acknowledge the sick miners and the viruses that they had found. You can find links to our reporting in the show notes, and you can support our journalism by going to techreview.com slash subscribe. We'll be back after the break.
2: Support for this podcast comes from MIT Technology Review's Pandemic Technology Project. It's funded in part by a grant from the Rockefeller Foundation.
0: Compete with Compute. The technologies that power business are becoming smarter and faster than ever before. Join MIT Technology Review and experts from AMD, Google, Akamai, and more for our third annual Future Compute Conference, May 3rd and 4th, on the MIT campus in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Full details at futurecomputemit.com.
1: So, let me take a step back. I want to tell you how all this got started, what the bat virus researchers in Wuhan really said in their publications, and why that got the attention of Drastic. And in the end, how the minor story became one of those rare moments in the lab leak debate where everyone can agree, up to a point. So, here's what happened. When the cases of a strange new pneumonia first started to emerge in Wuhan, In December of 2019, the Chinese government turned to their top virus labs. It was a high-profile assignment to find out what was causing the outbreak. The Wuhan Institute of Virology did that quickly. In a few days, they'd isolated and sequenced the new germ. They published their detailed analysis in an important scientific journal called Nature. It was a landmark result. And they had compared SARS coronavirus 2 to every other virus in their database. And those computer searches showed that it was a 96% match to a virus that they'd seen before, and were calling RATG13. So, two viruses that were something like second cousins. But it's what the Wuhan Institute's researchers didn't say that got drastic's attention. They didn't say clearly that RATG13 had come from that mine. They didn't mention the sick workers or their symptoms. And they didn't immediately disclose a handful of other viruses, also similar to SARS coronavirus 2, and which they also knew about. To the amateur sleuth and Drastic, all that looks mighty suspicious, like a scientific version of those men blocking the path to the mine shaft. While we weren't able to tape an interview for this podcast with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, we did talk to its top bat virus researcher for an article on our website. It's called Meet the Scientist at the Center of the COVID Lab League Controversy. And you can find it in the show notes or at technologyreview.com.
0: The behaving is not consistent with scientists trying to establish what the hell really happened. It's consistent with
1: them actually trying to cover up a lab league. This is Yuri Dagan. Along with a seeker, he's one of the key figures in Drastic. He's speaking to a media website called Rebel Wisdom. His day job is running a small biotech company involved in longevity research. But in 2020, he published a piece on Medium, pulling together clues that could point to a laboratory accident related to a genetic engineering project gone wrong. And since then, he's only become more certain. There has been, I'd say, a steady trickle of circumstantial evidence, none
0: of which is like huge, but, you know, starting to make the...
1: The totality of all these little nuggets on the lab leak side of the scales weigh pretty heavily. Steady trickles, piles of nuggets? What does it really add up to? I asked the seeker. So we have six miners who became sick and I guess three who died from a disease that looks a lot like the pneumonia that's caused by SARS-CoV-2. So all that seems definitely worth mentioning. You call it obfuscation. What do you think their goal was?
2: It may be due to competitive reasons, but it never found a mention in the official list of China CDC cases for unexplained pneumonia. I think there's a good chance that there was an effort to cover up the cases.
1: In the fall of 2020, the Wuhan Institute itself updated their earlier paper in the journal Nature, confirming most of what the seeker had found. Yes, there were sick minors, Yes, we found RATG13 in the same cave. Yes, we even found a bunch of other viruses. But no, they said, there was no
2: evidence that the miners had died of COVID-19. I think it was late admission, and it was due to the fact that there was a pressure from the scientific community, maybe even from the journals to issue an addendum. But yeah, it came late and little,
1: You're saying that there's a lot of unanswered questions. Are you continuing to do research onto the question of the origin of the virus? And what is it that you're looking for now?
2: We would like to have independent access to all the samples from the mine. We know that they had projects to carry out certain experiments which are deemed controversial by the scientific community. And they had more than 1,300 samples from the mine. They had the concepts, they knew the techniques, and they have the knowledge and experience. And they had the state funded grants in place to work on the mineshaft samples. And I think they are the critical pieces of information that could be followed up. We need on-site access to go beyond and follow the leads.
1: In fact, the seeker did encourage journalists to follow those leads, starting
2: with the location of the Mojang mine. A dozen journalists from various networks from around the world They tried to visit the mine. I think we also know that the area is under camera surveillance and people have been given strict orders to obstruct journalists from visiting the mine.
1: What do you think is the reason to block access to the mine or hide it? I mean, it could be a dangerous mine if this is where these viruses are coming from.
2: I think one of the reasons could be, it's one of my favorite hypothesis that, you know, my favorite conspiracy theory that there's a lab just a few hundred meters from the exact location from the entry of the mine. And we know that there are two structures, two structures came up around 2015, and it's, it still hasn't been ruled out that the two structures are sort of a, you know, a field lab, or at least a place to store equipments. And, you know, somehow related to the sampling of the mine. It could be one of the reasons that the journalists aren't allowed anywhere near the mine shaft.
1: Wait, a secret mountain lab? It sounds like guesswork. But... The seeker's information has been influential. In the fall of 2020, I received an unexpected email from the White House. An official there wanted to share clues pointing to a laboratory accident. And it turned out to be the miners' story. The seeker's find had reached security officials at the highest level in Washington. But I honestly wondered, is this all they have? With all their spies and wiretaps and experts, it was just remarkable. The clues were coming from an anonymous young man half a world away. Do you wish you had become a scientist? Or, or do you wish so now? I mean, are you having a sort of unlikely scientific career?
2: <laughs> no, maybe, maybe as a journalist, I could or I would. But no, not as a scientist, I guess. You are doing a kind of a journalism already.
1: Investigative journalism involving documents. Can you give us your analysis of how well the media or how poorly the media has done covering the origins?
2: I think we deserved a better answer than the media has given us. I'd like to say that the way the media was carrying on, it, it seemed less often open-minded curiosity. And there was kind of a rush to judgment early on. At that point in early 2020, it would have been a simple common sense to put pressure on Beijing for its lack of transparency. And even uh, the authoritative scientists were trying to acquit Beijing from any responsibility. To be clear, drastic hasn't found the origin
1: of COVID-19. They've got red thread all over the corkboard, but where does it lead? So far, mostly in circles. So how has all this gone down with mainstream scientists? Angela Rasmussen is a prominent virologist who has pushed back against the lab leak crowd.
0: All of these are not scientific questions, and that's part of the problem.
1: This is her speaking at a panel at the Council on Foreign Relations in July of last year.
0: The lab hypothesis, basically the only evidence that exists for this is the fact that the pandemic started in Wuhan and the laboratory happens to be there. That's all we can confirm.
1: On Twitter, Rasmussen has gone after the lab leak proponents, calling the theory a gathering spot for, quote, Overzealous activists, self-appointed detectives, unqualified writers, and politically motivated conspiracy theorists. But Drastic keeps finding material that deepens suspicions. Information that shows all that research on bat viruses was more dangerous than we thought, and a little bit closer to the kind that could have created SARS-Coronavirus-2. But not all mainstream scientists have dismissed Drastic. Jesse Bloom studies the evolution of viruses in Seattle. And he's among a group of top scientists that last year publicly called on Wuhan's laboratories to open up to outside scrutiny. Bloom has also come to believe that a lab accident cannot be ruled out.
0: You know, if you're just collecting viruses from a region where you think there could be viruses with the potential to cause a pandemic, you could just end up collecting something that could cause a pandemic. So for instance, we know that the Mojiang mines were being researched because there were six miners who'd come down with a SARS-like pneumonia working in those mines. So that suggests that there are already viruses in the Mojang mines that are at least not that far away from being able to infect humans and cause a pandemic.
1: I asked Rowan Jacobson, the journalist who was studying those Chinese mines, what he made of all this. I wanted to know whether he found the sleuth's suspicions compelling. None of that
0: information was like a sign of guilt. It was just a sign that they were intentionally not talking about what they had been up to. Maybe the most significant part of that whole story was that they didn't want to talk about it for some reason. You know, if you're charitable, you could say like, well, just they knew it looked bad, so they tried to hide it. They made a bad decision and tried to just cover it up because they knew it looked suspicious. But the other option is that uh, there are some things to uncover that are more damning.
1: So what are the sleuths up to? They're trying to create a circumstantial case, putting scientists at the scene of the outbreak. And that's the easy part. That's the curious coincidence. But then also what I think of as consciousness of guilt. Why weren't the Chinese crystal clear about those sick minors and other things too? Are these behaviors of a guilty mind meant to draw attention away from the truth? Or are these just more coincidences? events that only fit a pattern if you believe in conspiracies. In our next episode, the secrecy that surrounds germ labs and the strange case of the time-traveling flu. That's next time on Curious Coincidence. Curious Coincidence is a production of MIT Technology Review. It's produced as part of our Pandemic Technology Project, which is supported by a grant from the Rockefeller Foundation. The show was created by me and Jennifer Strong. The producers are Anthony Green and Lindsay Moscato, with help from Emma Sillikens. The production manager is Luke Robert Mason. Our theme music was composed by Jacob Gorski, with original scoring and mixing by Garrett Lang. we edited by Michael Riley, David Rottman, and Jennifer Strong. The executive producer of Curious Coincidence is Golda Arthur. I'm Antonio Regalado. Thanks for
2: listening.